Welcome to today's message from Transformation Church with Pastor Jim Balzano. How many of you were at the um, volunteer dinner on Friday night? Come on, raise your hands. Let's go. All right. How many of you had a good time at that dinner? Amen? Good. How many of you know I only spoke about 13 minutes or so? How many know that's not going to happen today? How many of you are okay with that not happening today? Wow. (laughs) It's going to be a rough crowd this morning. I want to talk to you for a little bit. We've been doing this series, and this series that we're doing is entitled Stand Firm. And it's taking a look at Ephesians um, chapter 5, and let's begin reading the scripture, all right? This is what Paul wrote. Paul wrote this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. How many know the devil has schemes, has a schematic plan, has um, methods and methodology in which he wants to come against you? It goes on and says, for our struggle, and that word struggle as we talked about earlier is what? It is a wrestling match with this, with the, that, that is trying to throw each other off and you win by grabbing your opponent by the neck and holding them down, rendering them defeated. And the enemy is at work in your life to come against you to render you defeated. All right? Now, oops, I'm back up. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rollers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. All right? Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to take your stand and be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, stand. Now, what does that armor look like? And we've, what we're doing is stripping away all the imagery and just looking at the, what the Bible says. Therefore, take on the full armor of God so you'll be able to rest in the day of evil, and having done everything to stand firm, stand firm then having girded your loins with truth. All right, how many know we stand firm in truth? We stand firm in righteousness, having... Um, and having shod your feet with the gospel of the preparation of the gospel of peace, we stand firm in peace. In addition to all of that, take up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. So get this picture that Paul's talking about. Paul has this picture that he's painting to the Ephesians, that you're in a battle. Listen to me, church. You may live in America, but you better understand that there is a war that's raging in the heavenly realm that's with principalities and authorities and rollers in high places. It's not the flesh and blood that you think you're fighting. It's not your neighbor. It's not your boss. It's not your enemy. It's not human flesh. Although, how many know, it will manifest itself through flesh and blood. And what, is, what do you want to do when it manifests itself through flesh and blood? You want to punch them in the face. I'm just kind of making sure you're awake here. How, how, many, how many of you ever wanted to, and I think I forgot to turn this on, how many of you ever wanted to just lash out at people? Anybody, has anybody here ever wanted to get in the flesh? Okay, anybody, you, okay, thank you. Have any of you ever been in the flesh? Oh, I'm going to tell you what, some of you have. I've been there, all right? And some of you have been there when I have been in the flesh, all right? Because we, we do, we want to react that way. But Paul's saying, listen, there is a battle, there is a struggle, and it's not with flesh and blood, but it's with his rollers and authorities that war against you, that have schemes against you, that are trying to hold you down, render you defeated, all right? And so he says now, he says one of the things he does is he has these flaming arrows, if you will, get the imagery, that he's shooting at you. How many know it's not a good thing when somebody's shooting a flaming arrow at you? Right? Now watch this. I remember one time when my, my brother-in-law and I used to, years and years and years ago, when my dad had the tire shop over that side of the building, and my lived on this side of the street, and they were over there, and there was a stones over there, and there were stones over at my house, and my brother-in-law would, I would throw stones at each other. Don't ask me why. And then one time, so was it okay? Remember Tony, right? And one time I thought, I'll get him. So I took a stone. I threw that baby way up in the air. And he goes, and then I threw another one at him and hit him right in the shin. All right? <laughs> okay? I mean, no, that's what the enemy's doing. There's a battle. There's a, it's raging. And he's shooting things at you. He's trying to destroy you. And Paul said they're like flaming arrows. But what he says is, but you have a shield of faith that you take up. 
How many of you ever see those Roman shields? They're long, have you know, the square, oblong, if you will. That's what he's kind of referring to. And you take that and you hold it up. It's faith that extinguishes the flaming arrows of the enemy. Now, so what's he saying? Paul's saying this. Faith is a shield that empowers you to extinguish the arrows of the enemy. Because he says you have to take it up. How many know a shield is no good unless you pick it up? A shield is no good on the ground. A shield is no good in the closet. A shield is only good if you pick it up and you hold it. And so this is something you have to pick up and you are applying into your life. So what I'm going to do is I have about six messages in one. So we'll see how far we get, all right? But I want to talk to you because what I'm going to try to do this morning is when I was praying, I said, Lord, show me some of the arrows, these flaming arrows that the enemy uses. Show me some of these that he uses in our life. Now, what we're going to apply here is we're going to apply that Paul was talking to believers. Amen? You're all believers here, right? Okay. So, if you're, okay. so now he's saying these arrows are being shot at the Ephesian church, the Ephesian people, the believers in God. And so I'm going to talk to you from a point of when you become saved, you become a believer, that place from conversion. All right, so you heard the message of Jesus, because I mean, nobody gets saved until they heard the message of Jesus and received the message of Jesus, and they confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. How many know then you're saved? All right, so that's who he's talking to. So the first era, so you come to a place where like, I'm saved, I'm a child of God. I'm born anew, I've been forgiven. And then what does he do? He comes with the flaming arrows of accusation. How many have ever felt the accusation of the devil? How many have ever heard him tell you, you're this, you're that, all right, that he brings this re scandalous report to you, if he will, all right? And so I want to take you to a scripture and show you some principles found in Zechariah, all right, Zechariah chapter 3. It goes like this. There was a high priest, his name was Joshua, that God was going to use. Let me read you the scripture. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan was standing at his right hand to accuse him. So get this. They're kind of like in a courtroom. Joshua, the high priest, standing there. Satan is standing at his right hand to bring accusation against him. How many of you know this morning that if Satan was standing right here this morning to accuse me, he would have stuff to base it on? Yeah, I know. It's hard to imagine the pastor of a sin. Okay. All right. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. He spoke and he said to those who were standing before him, saying, remove the filthy garments from him. Again, he said to him, see, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. Then I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. It's an amazing portion of scripture that gives a wonderful insight into what Jesus did for us at Calvary. Think about this first of all. How do I, so here's what happens. You get saved. How many have a past? How many know some pasts are different than others? How many know that sometimes that, that you hear the accusation of you were a philanderer, you were a cheat, you were an addict, you were a criminal, you were this, you were that, you were an abuser, you were a liar. How many of you ever heard that stuff? Right? If you haven't, then the devil must like you. <laughs> but listen to me for a moment. But what do we do? How do I stand firm against the accusations of the enemy? Because how many know the Bible says in Revelation that he's the accuser of the brethren who stands to accuse them night and day, night and day, night and day, okay? So now let's think about this. So first of all, I stand firm in faith knowing, look what it says, knowing it is my God who rebukes my enemy. Do you, look at this, get this picture this morning. Joshua standing there, Satan's accusing him, saying, look at how filthy he is, look how dirty he is, look at the sinner that he is. And all of a sudden, this is what God does. God says, be quiet. God says, be quiet. Do you understand my God is speaking to my enemy? I, do you understand there's sometimes I don't have to speak to the enemy? Hmm? I, was, I, was watching, I was watching a movie the other day, I forget what movie it was, and it doesn't matter the movie. But in this movie, there was this scene where there was this little kid. He did something. Him and his father were working in the house of this rich guy. And this rich guy 
walked over, didn't like something the kid did, and he slapped this kid right across the face. And his dad did nothing. You want to see flesh? Slap my kid in the face when I'm standing there. <laughs> it, it, it's going to be on with flesh and blood at that point. Okay, I'm just telling you, it's going to get on, all right? But in the spiritual realm, the enemy is coming against you with an accusation, and the fact of the matter is, listen to me, in and of yourself, you have nothing you can rebuke him with. But all of a sudden, the Lord says what? The Lord rebuke you. You shut your mouth. You be quiet. You be quiet. Listen to me this morning. You stand firm against the accusation of the enemy because you know your God speaks on your behalf. He speaks on your behalf to the enemy. How many know he will bow? Okay, the Bible says, I resist him, but how many know it's God who rebukes him? Right? And when God rebukes him, how many know he bows to the name of Jesus and he bows to the word of God? All right? Secondly, I stand firm in faith knowing God chose to save me. Look what he says, though. He said to him, he, he says, look, the Lord rebuke you. Don't you know this is a brand plucked from the fire? I chose to save him. Do you know when he chose to save us? Before the foundation of the world. Come on, church. Do you know that it was his idea to you become saved, not your idea to get saved? Do you understand? Like, like I'm standing there, I'm going to look at this. I'm going to look at the devil and go, excuse me. Hello? Yeah, I know, but it wasn't my idea. It was his idea. It wasn't my idea. It was his idea. He chose me. He chose me before the foundation of the world. He chose to be, become conformed to the image of his son. He, listen to me, church. He chose you. He desired you, just as he did Joshua. Let me go on. Next, I stand firm in faith, knowing it was God who cleansed me from my filth. You stand there filthy. Sin. Sin causes filth. Sin causes us to be stained. Sin causes us to be unclean. You see, because you've got to understand something. If you don't get this in your spirit, you will fall temptation to legalism, self-righteousness, and self-attempts of cleansing yourself from sin. And there's only one thing that cleanses you from your sin, and it's the blood of Jesus Christ. You, you see, because, man, I'm going to tell you something. If you could do it on your own, how many didn't need Jesus? So I stand firm when the enemy comes at, my, at me. And I say, whoa, whoa, Jack, let me tell you how this works. I didn't choose me. My God did. And I didn't cleanse myself. My God cleansed me. Let me move on. Say, hurry up. Okay, I will. All right, I stand firm in faith knowing God didn't just cover my sin. He forgives my sin. You see what he said? Now, I want to show you something. There's a very interesting thing here. I want you to see, listen to this scripture again. First of all, the Lord speaks to Satan in rebuke. And then he speaks to those around Joshua, and he says what? He said to those, remove his filthy garments. And then he spoke to Joshua. He said, look, see, I have taken your iniquity from you, and I have clothed you with festal robes. Do you understand? Here comes the enemy. The enemy comes with accusations against God's chosen. And when he comes with that accusation, God, first of all, says, you, be quiet. And he says, secondly, I chose him. And by the way, oh, by the way, let me remind you, I've taken off your filth, and I've given you a robe of righteousness. How many know he speaks to us? When's the last time that you've heard him speak to you and say, this is what I've done for you? All right, it's a phenomenal piece of scripture to look at how he speaks in the midst of those accusations because I want you to understand something. Here's what you gotta understand. The accusation of the enemy is to cause me to see myself in a diminished dimension. But when I stand in faith, it causes me to see God in a greater dimension. If all I do is look at what he says about me, that I'm a liar, I'm a cheat, I was this, I was that, and all I hear is these accusations, I walk away with a diminished view of me. How many of you have ever had a diminished view of yourself? Where you're bought into the lie of the devil. But, the, but see, when I stand in faith knowing he chose me, he cleansed me, he saved me, he's put a robe of righteousness on me, now... All of a sudden, in the midst of the enemy trying to give me a, dimension, a, a diminished dimension of myself, I've got a greater dimension of my God. It blew up in his face. It blows up in his face because here's what happens. What happens is now my adversary actually reveals my advocate. 
Here comes the enemy. He's sitting there as an adversary. He's there to accuse. And all of a sudden, I get a glimpse of, there's my advocate. There's the one who speaks on my behalf. There's the one who defends me. There's the one who silences the enemy. Listen, you might get a glimpse of your adversary, but you better get a picture of your advocate. Because your advocate is greater than your adversary. And I stand firm, not because of me. I stand firm because of my faith in my advocate. If I went to court tomorrow to have to defend myself on something, I would not be a good one to represent myself. I want a good attorney who's advocate that I put my faith in him to defend me against those charges. All right, watch this. Watch this. My sin that he's telling me about causes me to see my Savior. Like, yeah, oh yeah. Like, get this, do you understand? You were, you were this, this, this. Yeah, I know, that's why I needed a Savior. Let me introduce you to him. Of course I'm a sinner. If I wasn't a sinner, I didn't need a Savior. Now, I know some of you don't need a Savior. I needed one. My sin told me so. And so his trying to portray my sin actually gives a revelation of my Savior. The condemnation of the enemy actually reveals the approval of God. Come on. Condemnation is never from God. Conviction is from God. Condemnation is never from God. If you're feeling condemned and being condemned, it is not from God. It is from the enemy of your soul who is shooting a flaming arrow at you. And you need to stand and pick up the shield of faith that says what? No, 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 no. I am not condemned because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and I am in Christ Jesus. All right? Now, what else we got? We got this, the arrow of temptation. Anybody here ever been tempted? Okay, let's go home. Gosh, y'all just failed. Y'all just were tempted to lie and did. Like, anybody ever been tempted? Oh, my God. You know, sometimes I, I, I preach in church, and I think, man, what am I preaching for? They're already saved. I mean, they're all saved and going to heaven, sanctified. They're, they're all in a heavenly state already. How does this temptation thing work? Let's talk about it for a moment. First of all, let's understand what James said. James said this. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Listen, when you have fallen to sin, it is never because God prompted you to sin. I've heard people say dumb stuff. Well, the Lord let me do this because, no, shut up. You did that because you're a sinner. All right? I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. How many know, first of all, if God cannot be tempted by evil, he's not a part of any of the evil things that happen in our world. God is not a part of mass shootings. Because he cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Hmm. So what it's telling me is that temptation from the enemy is actually working with what is within me. Anybody got stuff inside you? I've never been tempted to do drugs. Never. All right? You say, well, what have you been tempted? None of your business. <laughs> Cheesecake. <laughs> All right? But we have to understand that there is, within us, there are things in our flesh, and some of these things have been created in us by things that have happened around us, environments we grow up in, and now there's this stuff, and all of a sudden there's this warring that goes on within us. And there's this temptation that works, and it works with what's within us, all right? Now, why does the enemy do that? Let's think about that for a moment. The cravings of our flesh. Adam and Eve were tempted according to their flesh when they saw the fruit. Desirable for food, desirable for gaining wisdom. Yes, I want that. Or how about this one? David. David was on a roof where he saw a naked Bathsheba. How many know what warred within him, what was in front of him? The two came together and he was tempted to sin, and he did. Jesus, you say, wait, wait, he didn't sin. I know, but he was tempted. And when was he tempted? He was tempted to turn stones into bread after 40 days of fasting, because how many know his flesh was hungry? His flesh was hungry. 
You see, the temptations that the enemy brings at us, the Bible says they come from within me, and he's cooperating with those. Now, why does he do that? The first reason is that he does this, the arrows of temptation, are to destroy a destiny that God planned for us. Think about this for a moment. Adam and Eve are in the garden. Adam and Eve have a destiny. Image of God. Roll over all the creation. Over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and all the livestock. They were to be his creation, or his, his image in the midst of his creation. And that destiny. And Satan came and said, I'm going to tempt them and get them to do what they're not supposed to do. I'm going to get them to walk in sin, to rebel against God, so I can destroy that destiny. Because I mean, no sin has a way of destroying a destiny. All right? Now, Think about David and his family. Think about Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus is in the wilderness. He, just, he went to the wilderness after being baptized. He's baptized in the Jordan River. He's stepping into his priestly ministry where he would bring the Lamb of God, the pure spotless Lamb of God. Jesus, the high priest, would bring himself, the pure spotless Lamb of God without sin, to Calvary's cross unless the enemy could derail him by getting him to sin in the wilderness when he tempted him. Can I destroy this destiny through sin? Can I get him to rebel against God? Can I get him to bow down and worship me? You see, this morning in our life, we come, God has a destiny for us, and the enemy says, I don't want that God-ordained destiny, therefore let me tempt them to get him to sin. And if he can't destroy it, then what he will do is he will shoot these arrows to disrupt what he cannot destroy. Do you know sin is a disruption in a family? Do you know that sin is a disruption in a church? See, you're supposed to answer that so I can get a drink. Look at David. David's temptation with Bathsheba and his ultimate falling created a disruption in his family for generations to come. Now, God's bigger than that sin. Don't get me wrong. But how many know all of our sin still has consequences? Come on. How many know we're forgiven? We're saved. He's cleansed us. How many of you ever got saved and still had to live with some of the consequences of the sin of your life? Right? And sin. And so now, can I cause a disruption? How many know that the sin in the garden caused a disruption in humanity? And God's purpose for humanity because now God says, now I meant you to live forever. You can't live forever. And I'm going to drive you from the garden. And now you're going to die. It was a disruption. That's what the enemy does. He tries to tempt us to destroy our destiny or to disrupt what was planned for us. And then there's, let me show you this one. The arrows of temptation, if they can't destroy and disrupt, they will attempt to redefine what the enemy couldn't destroy. Let me talk about that for just a moment. In our country right now, much of, much of what some people are calling good is actually a redefinition of something God created. For example, how many know the devil can never destroy marriage? We can't. People are going to get married. Christians are going to get married. So what does he do? I can't destroy it, so I'm going to get it redefined. I'm going to redefine it so I can mess it up. I'm going to redefine it so I can pervert it. I'm going to redefine it so it can be, now it can be a man and a man and a man and, and, and two women or two women. And, and I'm going to redefine it. Do you understand how the enemy works? That it's not always, okay, I can't destroy it and I can't disrupt it. Therefore, let me redefine it. Uh, okay, when does a life start? Well, no, no, uh, that, that baby in the womb is not a life. That fetus is not a life. Let me redefine it. Now, how many things in our life does he come in and say, well, well that's really not a sin. If it's in the Word of God and says it's a sin, yes, it is. Don't let him redefine it. The moment we allow him to put definition to what God put definition to, we're allowing him to actually redefine what God already defined. And that messes everything up, I'm just telling you. All right? Think about this. How do I resist this temptation? These flaming arrows of temptation, if I can get you to fall to it. First of all, listen to me. How many know standing in firm in faith is simply standing obedient? Like, how many, listen to me this morning. There are some times we need to stand by faith in obedience whether we feel like it or not. There are some things that I want to do 
that I don't feel like doing that I do. There are some things that I don't feel, like I, I, don't, I don't wanna be nice some days. I know, it's hard to believe. Like, I, I got, let me ask you this question. I don't wanna tithe, I don't feel like tithing. Oh, there he goes, messing with my pocketbook. I don't feel like tithing. I don't feel like giving. I mean, it doesn't matter what you feel, it's what the Bible says. I don't feel like being loving, kind, gracious. Well, I feel like gossiping, so what? Doesn't matter what you feel. Obedience isn't about feelings, it's about faith. I mean, obedience flows from faith. Adam and Eve in the garden. Hey, did God really say not to eat this? Yeah, he said, don't eat it, don't touch it, add it to it. And if you oh, God didn't really mean that. Oh, okay. What happens in our life is sometimes we've made obedience about a feeling. It's never been about a feeling. It's always been about faith. I stand firm in faith knowing that while I'm being tempted, this is what the Bible tells me, I've got a high priest who understands everything I go through who's interceding for me. He is praying for me. I love this one scripture. I often talk about it to you. There's Peter. Peter's like, he's all proud, all full of himself. He's gonna be going great things for Jesus. And, I, and, and, and I'm not gonna deny you. I renew you. And he says, yes, you will. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Oh, no. How many know you don't wanna hear that from Jesus? Like, if you hear that from Jesus, Run. He's asked to sift you, throw you up in the air, toss you around, prove you. But I have prayed for you. And when you return, strengthen your brothers. I don't like that scripture at all. I told you why. I would rather, he said, but I have prayed for you, therefore you're not going to have to go through it. Come on. When the enemy is sifting you, Jesus is praying for you. When you're being tempted, he is praying for you. You have an advocate who's interceding on your behalf. When you're facing that temptation, you, go, you reach out. Jesus, I know you're praying for me. I know you're interceding for me. I know you're, you're, you're up there and you're advocating for me. And I'm going to trust that. And I'm going to, come on, how many know what I'm talking about this morning? How many of you ever had an advocate? Might have been your big sister, guys. I don't know. That you had an advocate working on your behalf. Temptation. Let me hurry on. Say, please do. The arrows of affliction. Anybody ever been afflicted? And this can go along with persecution. When you look at the early church, how many know they faced affliction and they faced persecution in their life? Hmm? If he can't get you through accusation, if he cannot get you through temptation, then there's going to be a time where he may come at you through affliction. A guy like Job. Anybody remember a guy named Job? Or how about uh, Jesus that was even afflicted? The early church was birthed and persecution hit the church. They were whipped, beheaded, put into prison. But let me remind you this morning. i got to remind you of one thing right off the bat. There is a difference between the affliction of the enemy and the affliction from being stupid. <laughs> Listen to me. And sometimes it ain't the devil's fault. It's your fault. Sometimes it ain't the devil's fault. It's my fault. I just was stupid. I just was dumb. I made dumb choices. I made dumb decisions. It's not the devil's fault. It's my fault. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? I, I'm telling you, we give, the, we give him way too much credit sometimes. We got to stop giving him so much credit. Oh, the devil this, the devil that, the devil. No, 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 no. The devil's not drying up your finances. You went into debt by choice because you wanted things you couldn't afford. Well, the devil this no, 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 David. You stood on the roof, you stared at that naked woman, and you said, I want her. Can I, can I get an amen this morning, maybe? Yeah, just, let's understand when there's a difference between what I've caused and what the enemy caused. You see, because this is me. Affliction from the enemy generally, typically comes as a result of righteousness. The church, okay? Why was Job persecuted? Why was he afflicted? Because the Bible said he was perfect. He was sinless. There's no one like him, God said. Why was Jesus afflicted? Because of righteousness. Why was the early church afflicted and persecuted? Because of righteousness. Blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. You see, true affliction 
comes from a position of righteousness where the enemy is coming at you to try to destroy you. All right? Because self-affliction generally flows from the decisions we make. Can we admit this morning that some of our affliction has been self-induced? And some of it has been, what? Enemy-induced. But this affliction, and this affliction is to discourage you. It's to frustrate you. It's to get you to quit. It's to, get, it's to intimidate you, and it's to manipulate you. And it's to bring you, to, and actually bring you a place where you actually bring a charge against God. God, if you're so good, where are you? God, why is this? God, what are you doing? Remember the story of Ruth and Naomi? Naomi said, God has dealt bitterly with me when her two sons and husband died. She said, don't call me Naomi, which means my delight. Call me Mara, which means bitterness. She changed her identity based upon the affliction in her life. And she brought a charge and an indictment against God. This affliction. How do I stand firm against this affliction? Well, first of all, I think I love what Job says. Job's gone through it all. He said, this one thing I know. I know my Redeemer lives. I might be going through all hell has let loose against me. But what I know is my rock and my Redeemer lives. That's what I know. He said, though he slay me, I will serve him. How many of us are sometimes we just got to get a little bit stubborn? Hmm? Like I'm talking about spiritually stubborn. Right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How many know they were being afflicted for righteousness? We're not bound to your golden idol. We're not bowing down and worshiping that thing. Are you out of your mind? We're going to throw you in the fire. Go ahead. Go ahead. Throw us in the fire. Because I'm going to tell you something, King. My God's going to save us. And even if he doesn't, we're still not bowing down to your idol. The, the, uh, the apostles, they considered it a joy to be persecuted for the gospel. And we get tired when church goes a little long. When the pastor persecuted me for an hour today. <laughs> Come on. We're soft. Sometimes we're just soft. Let's admit it. Affliction comes. And how do I stand against this affliction? I began to look at some of the characters of the Bible and looked at Paul and looked at the apostles. So I think there's a couple things we just got to look at. One is I stand firm in the afflictions of this world by faith in the blessings of another world. You will never endure the affliction here if you don't have faith in another dimension, in another world. If you don't have the, the, the belief, because faith is a conviction. Faith is a belief. Faith is a conviction that determines your actions, right? And if you don't believe that there is a, you know, how many of the apostles... They knew this world, this isn't as good as it gets. This world isn't as good as it gets. We're going home to glory someday. We're out of here, baby. Jesus is coming back. This is not all it's going to be. When we live as if this is the best there is, the affliction we face here will always cause us to get to a place of disappointment and we'll always get to a place of disillusionment and we won't be able to stand in faith because we have no picture of another dimension, another world. I stand firm in the afflictions of this world through faith in the one who is not in this world. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It's amazing how we can kind of forget what the scripture tells us, isn't it? I'm going to hurry on. You know how many hurry means one thing to one person and another thing to a pastor. You see, because I'm showing you, I said, Lord, show me the arrows he shoots at people as believers and the church. How I many know he hates the church? How I many know he's always been trying to destroy the church? All right? So here's one that hit me. I'm, reading, I'm looking at the book of Acts, and I see them going through all these things. Temptation. They're going through the accusations. They're going through the affliction. Then it hit me. You see, there's the arrow of ambition. Have you ever been ambitious? It's okay if you are. Ambition is good. Unbridled ambition is bad. Framed ambition is good. I don't want to hire anybody on staff who has no ambition. But how many know it's got to be framed? You see, Paul, listen to some, Paul, some of the words Paul wrote. I'm sorry, no, we're not here yet. 
Let me talk to you about this arrow of ambition. The arrow of ambition is a scheme of the enemy to get you to promote yourself in order to destroy the body. Right? Because when you are self-promoting, you're only thinking about one person. Moi. Everybody say moi. That's not bad. Right? I mean, think about this. If he can't get you, let me, how, can I dis, how can I shipwreck you through ambition? You say, well, does he do that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You say, because if he didn't, Paul wouldn't have wrote what he wrote. Let me just read you a couple of scriptures. Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He said, I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. He wrote to the Galatians. He said, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, selfish ambition. Then he talked in Philippians about these guys who were preaching the gospel out of selfish ambition. Hmm. And then he told the Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Huh. And then listen to what it says. For such wisdom, think about this for a minute. For such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Watch this. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder in every evil practice. The church is a danger spot for people to seek, fulfill personal ambition. Listen, do you think, let me just talk to you for a moment. Do you think pastors don't like to hear, good sermon, pastor? I know it happens like three times a year here, but oh well. Troy preaches, Peter preaches, and somebody else preaches one. Right? Do you think we don't like to hear that? Of course we like to hear that. Hello? Do you think that Troy doesn't like to hear, hey, great job today? Do you think a singer doesn't like to hear, hey, great singing? Do you think for a moment that your flesh doesn't like to hear that? Of course you do. The problem is when you can't frame it and it begins to control you and everything you do is to hear that. And everything you do is to get the accolades and put yourself on a platform and to promote yourself. We live in a dangerous time. I'm going to tell you something. I'm doing some writing on it right now. I love social media and all that it brings us. But it is a toll of the devil for self-promotion. Where narcissistic, self-serving people are promoting themselves and using Christ to do it. Oops. <laughs> Oops. Listen to me for a moment. God, when I look at the Bible and I read Scripture, what I see are great men and women were promoted by God, not self. David was in a pasture. David was in a pasture walking around pig crap. Or sheep crap. Say, he said, crap insurance. Yes, I did. You'll be all right. Paul said far, Paul said far worse. David was in a, okay, Joseph had this dream that everybody hated. Next thing you know, he's in prison. Like, Paul, Paul, when did God promote Paul? When he was killing the church? How many of you think God knows how to get people into the positions where he wants them? I didn't want this gig. I ran from pastoring. And the Lord knows I didn't promote myself to get here. It was Paul's fault. <laughs> and a few other guys. <laughs> Listen to me. But, but you're saying, well, you're just a pastor. No, it happens inside the church all the time where you find people jockeying for position and jockeying for this and jockeying. Stop it. We need to stop it in the body of Christ. Because we have to understand that God has designed you, planned you, and if he's designed you and planned you for a purpose. <laughs> Hit the snooze button. <laughs> How many have an alarm clock in the morning? How many ever hit the snooze button? How many hit it two or three times? We're going to do that right now, all right? <laughs> I won't be much longer, I promise. All right. 
It wasn't my fault. Frank spoke, and Noel spoke. <laughs> All right. Listen, you don't need to promote yourself. God has designed you with a purpose in mind that he knows how to bring about in your life. All right? Listen to me for a moment. Okay? Self-promotion is an Absalom spirit that seeks to get what wasn't given. Absalom was King David's son. I want to be king. I'm going to promote myself. He put himself at the city gate. I'm going to get what I want through my own promotion. Don't bow and to an Absalom spirit. Okay? Because look, look. I stand firm against that. Knowing God is the one who promotes. How do you get promoted in the kingdom of God? It's never about trying to be promoted in the kingdom of God. It's about being faithful and serving the kingdom of God. And you're faithful and serving the kingdom of God. That stuff takes care of itself. The Bible says your gift makes room for you. Be a servant. Be a blessing. Be a gift. Jo- Joseph, jo- you think Joseph knew he was going to be second in Egypt? No, that didn't, he didn't promote for that. I stand firm in faith against the arrow of ambition, knowing God is the one who created me for a purpose and will bring me to that purpose. You know, we've got to understand something. It's like I said earlier, do you think pastors don't like that stuff? I was talking to my staff one day. I was talking to others. Hum- Let me tell you something. Humility is not the absence of ego. It is the control of ego. We all got egos, man. We all got flesh. Humility controls it. Humility grabs a hold of it and says, no, no, no. Humility doesn't. And maturity and humility go hand in hand. And then what Paul said, Paul said what? Consider others better than yourself. Stop looking after your own ambition. Okay, enough of that one. (laughs) One more. This is the dangerous one. The arrow of apathy. The arrow of apathy. When the enemy cannot destroy you, through accusation, temptation, or affliction, or even ambition, which is what he tried to do in the body of Christ in the book of Acts, then he'll do it through apathy. I'm not a a doomsday naysayer person, but I will say this, that the church in America is in a dangerous place because I believe there's a lot of apathy in the church in America. I'm 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 not one who gripes about his bride. It's his bride, baby, and it's beautiful. Church is beautiful. But listen to me. We have a little bit of apathy going on. We have this mentality with the things of Christ. Take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. Eh, maybe I'll go. Maybe I won't go. Maybe I'll go to church. Maybe I won't go to church. Now listen to me. I'm not one of these legalists that says every time the door is open, you've got to be in the church. What I am saying is it's got to be a priority in your life. You figure out what that priority is. All right? You, you figure out what that priority is. Where, where, okay, our church attendance is, is, is almost at an all-time low. I told you before, 10 years ago, those people who would go to church three to four times a month, the statistic today is they go 1.8 times a month. That 10 years ago, a church of 1,000 would average 750 people in attendance on a Sunday. That same church today averages 450. Those are the statistics. Why? Because we're living in an era where there's so much competition. I'm just telling you, there's competition. And I'm, like, I'm not trying to be like condemning. I'm just saying that there's a place where we've got to say, wake up, oh sleeper. We've got to say, wake up, oh sleeper. You see, he said, remember he said to the church in Revelation, he, he said this, I know your deeds that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I have acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing, but you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Apathy lulls us into a false sense of security. When he says, I wish you were hot or cold, man. Hot or cold? Who likes, I don't know how you people drink cold coffee. Cold brew. Just means it got left out all night. That's my version. Like cold coffee. Who likes cold coffee? I want it hot. I don't want it lukewarm. I want it hot. And I don't, want my, I don't want my soda warm. I want it cold. I don't like lukewarm. I don't like, I, I, I like black or white. I don't like vanilla. Unless it's ice cream. You know what I'm saying? 
Like, we need to understand something, church. This lulls us into a false sense of security. I'm okay. That's not what the Bible says. The arrow of apathy lulls us into a false sense of significance. We may not have the significance. It's amazing to me. I've, I've talked to people over the years who think they have a greater significance than they do. Because they got lulled into a false sense of apathy, if you will. All right, let me finish up. Let me finish up. I got to go. Come on, Troy. That'll give you hope. Let me wrap it up. Faith is, listen to me, the arrows, shooting, the arrows are being shot by the enemy. They are flaming arrows to destroy you. All right? And they are arrows that we talked about. But faith is the shield that extinguishes them. And faith is the conviction that will shape our actions. You will not act in a way inconsistent with what you really believe. Oh, you may once or twice, but how many know a habit is formed from convictions? All right? Now, think about this. I stand firm in faith knowing what? Knowing that the Bible says, I walk by faith, not by sight. Do you understand this morning that there are things that you see with your eyes that make no sense? That you see them and it's a reality? I mean, your reality will sometimes shape how you think and how you act. But the Bible says, well, I'm going to walk by faith. You, you, you know we're going through this journey for the Nehemiah Project. And you know we got this monumental thing over there. And I'm just telling you, what I see in my eyes is terrible, horrible. I want to quit. I want to run away. But by faith, I see a future. I see an intended destination. I see a future. And I'm not going to bow and back down. Because we walk by faith, not by sight. Come on, church. Do you walk by sight or faith? I stand firm knowing. I already said that one. Wrong. And faith in the written, listen to me, in the written word of God and the spoken word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Listen to me. And, some of you, and I know that some people bristle. The spoken word. Let me tell you something. If your God's not speaking to you, get a different God. I'm serious. When did God stop speaking to his people? When did God stop by his Holy Spirit speaking into your heart, speaking into your spirit, encouraging you, lifting you up, convicting you? When did he stop speaking? When? When? We got churches that teach this nonsense. That the only way he speaks now is the Bible. That's not true. It's not true. What he speaks will never deny the Bible. But if your God doesn't speak to you, my God has spoken to me on many occasions. My God has given me dreams when my heart was broken. I can tell you about the God who speaks to you. And then gives you faith to stand. And then you pick up the word. And oh man, when you pick up the word, how many know? It's just like starts to do something in your spirit. It starts to do something. Yeah, come on, man. I'm going to tell you something. If, if you pick up your word, I promise some of you won't leave that word downcast. I promise you, if you pick up the word, some of you won't leave it discouraged. I'm promising you this morning. I'm making you some promises. I stand firm in faith that is grounded in the power of God, not the wisdom of men. Not the wisdom of men. Remember what Paul said? Paul said what? That we don't stand by wisdom from men, but rather we stand by the power of God. The evil one shoots his flaming arrows of wickedness, but by faith I take up the shield of faith because we know that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Therefore, we stand. We stand. We stand. And let me remind you of one more thing. He's the author and the finisher of my faith. And he is the increaser of my faith. Remember they said, Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> I need a little more faith for this one. It's always amazing to me. You know what that was in response to? When he says, oh, by the way, you need to forgive your brother 70 times 7. I need some faith, Lord. 
<laughs> that ain't in my repertoire. <laughs> seven times 70. Here's the deal. Make no mistake about it. You're in a struggle, whether you like to know it or not. And it's with rulers and authorities. It's with principalities, powers in dark places that war against you. And the Bible says, put on the armor. Forget about the imagery for a moment, but you're standing firm today in truth. You stand firm in righteousness. You stand firm in peace. And you stand firm in faith. Faith extinguishes the flames of the arrows shot by the devil. Come on. I just like to, you know, that big shield. Father, thank you for making me weird. But Father, this morning, this is, we're having, having a little fun, but, but Lord, the, the, the principles that there's one trying to destroy us. There's one coming at us. There's one who shoots at us. But we don't worry about him. That's not our fear. That's not our focus. Our eyes are on you. We walk in faith. We hold up a shield of faith. Thank you this morning that you're the one that rebukes my accuser. Thank you this morning that you're the one who silences the enemy. Thank you this morning that you're the one that we have our faith in. And so today we would say to you, we're going to stand. We're going to stand in faith in you, in you, in all that you do, in all that you are. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let me remind you, if you want an interest in going to Israel, we're having a short meeting right here. Come up here and don't be as long as me getting here. Amen. All right. Praise you. God bless you. Have a great week. We love you. Father. Bless your people this week in Jesus' name. Amen.